Welcome to Independent Truths with Scott Atlas. Today's guest, I'm delighted to say, is Riley Gaines. Riley Gaines is now one of America's most important proponents of women's rights, specifically, but not only in reserving women's sports for biological females. Riley's become very visible and highly influential now speaking out on this extremely important and highly controversial issue, testifying to Congress, advising numerous state governments, advisor to the Independent Women's Forum, and becoming a leading inspirational voice all over the country. Riley graduated from the University of Kentucky in 2022 as one of the most decorated swimmers in history. Her dozens of state conference and national swimming records and accolades as an elite athlete, as a scholar athlete, and as a humanitarian are far too numerous to list, but I'm going to do a few of them. She was SEC Female Scholar Athlete of the Year, team co-captain for two years in a row, winner of the prestigious Sullivan Award, the SEC Brad Davis Female Community Service Leader of the Year, the Captain's Award and Wildcat of the Year Award were given to her. She was named Miss Wildcat at the 2022 Catsby Awards and elected to the 2021-22 Academic All-District Women's At-Large Team. Riley, welcome and thanks for being here. Oh my gosh, thank you so much. Um, I think you made me sound a lot cooler than I really am. <laughs> <laughs> nah, that believe me, uh, you you are truly an inspiration and somebody so young having the the guts to put yourself out there. Uh, I, I think it you you can't express more admiration than I have for you. So uh, you know, I, I want to introduce this whole discussion. Uh, really, which to me is perhaps the most shocking controversy of all the controversies we have in the U.S. today, because these things seem so obvious to me. But there is now a very powerful focus of many in power to push the unlimited activities of a specific and extremely small group of people, men who have had medical or surgical transgender procedures to live their lives as women, at the sacrifice of opportunities as well as important rights and concerns, including privacy and safety concerns of girls and women, an area that we as a society have done so much good to protect. So with that sort of topic introduction, I thought you could uh, start by telling the listeners your personal story a little bit uh, to put the idea of preserving women's sports which sounds like a small area to many people, into perspective regarding even the pathway to becoming such an elite athlete at your level and everything that goes into that. Absolutely. Yeah, let me take you back. I um, I started swimming when I was four years old. I, I really started to get more intense and in swimming year-round when I was eight years old. Of course, that carries on through middle school, high school, you're practicing before school, you then go to school, straight from school, you go back to practice, uh, you eat dinner, do your homework, ice your shoulder, go to bed, wake up, do it all again the next day. And of course, that really only further intensifies once you get to college. I was very fortunate to be to be pretty heavily recruited. Um, both of my parents were D1 athletes. My dad, he played in the NFL for a while. And so we're a family based around sports, football in particular. Um, my brothers played football in college. All my uncles won Super Bowls and did all the things. And so I'm very wow. blessed um, genetically for sure. But 
pretty heavily recruited. I ultimately chose the University of Kentucky where uh, I had the most phenomenal experience until my last swim meet ever. Um, again, I had been swimming since I was four. I graduated when I was 22. So I dedicated 18 years of my life to my sport. And it was capped off by my last championship meet. It was our national championships, the fastest meet in the entire world. Um, I had geared up, ready to go, and I had made it my goal to win a national title, which would, of course, mean becoming the fastest woman in the country in my respective event. And I was right on pace to do that. Until about three weeks before our national championships, the NCAA announced that Leah Thomas, who was formerly Will Thomas, who swam three years on the men's team at University of Pennsylvania, would in fact be swimming with the women. And I want to mention, when Leah was swimming as Will on the men's team, he at best ranked 462nd in the nation to now trailing the women by body lengths. And that's exactly what we saw. Um, that first day of our national championships, I watched on the side of the pool as Thomas swam to a national title, beating out Olympians. Again, these aren't scrubs. These are the fastest swimmers in the world. Beating out Olympians, beating out American record holders, um, again, by multiple seconds. And it's important to remember swimming is a sport that's measured down to the hundredth of a second. So when you right. have... I mean, this is a swimmer who you never heard of until you saw out of nowhere record setting or championship performances yeah right i mean this is and you of course were intimately involved in the sport i mean this is uh, i remember you you said at an event that we both spoke at you know you're in the pool six seven hours a day i mean the massive amount of effort and focus to be achieving regardless of your genes the levels that yeah. you have achieved and by the way, being a scholar athlete and having time for community service, I mean, the devotion of somebody who is a competitive athlete is not just about sports. It's a lot about character. Yes. And, uh, you know, th this is a, a big, big issue uh, for a lot of girls and women. And we'll talk about what, what's happened in the explosion of women and girls in sports since Title IX in 1972, I think. But go ahead and tell me... Uh, that that introduction to the the whole Leah Thomas thing because you weren't uh, an activist before this all happened. I mean, this was not part of your life. Not at all. Not not even remotely. Even a year ago, if you would have asked me if I'd be sitting here talking to you, I would have said absolutely not. I'm not cool enough yeah. for that. I'm not equipped enough for that. But here I am, and so I will. I'll take you back to when I first heard of Leah Thomas. Um, it was about midway through my senior season. Again, as I mentioned, I had made it my goal to win a national title, and I was right on pace to do so. About midway through, I was ranked third in the country behind one amazing female swimmer who I knew very well. Um, because like in most sports, like you mentioned, um, especially at that top level, you know of each other. Regardless of where you compete in the country, regardless of, of if you know each other personally, even you know of each other's names because you've grown up competing against each other. No one just comes out of nowhere. And so sure. she was ranked second in front of me by by a few one hundredths or tenths of a second. But the person who was leading the country was someone I had never heard of. And this was the first time I became aware of a sore named Leah Thomas. But for all I knew at the time, this was a girl who came out of nowhere their senior year to post the fastest times in the nation from University of Pennsylvania and every freestyle event from the 100 freestyle, which is a sprint, and all of the freestyle events in between until the mile. And so to put this into perspective, because I know a lot of people don't understand swimming, this is like saying your best 200-meter Olympic runner 
is your best ultra marathon runner. Those are totally different systems. It, that, that's not happening. possible. Yeah. No, but that's what we saw in this swimmer. And so there was so much head scratching going on, talking to my coaches, talking to my teammates, my parents. I'm like, who is this person that's threatening my, my chance for a national title that I've never heard of? Um, no one had an answer until an article came out very briefly. I'm talking in, in a blip of a sentence, disclosing word for word. Leah Thomas is formerly Will Thomas and swam three years on the men's team at University of Pennsylvania before deciding to transition to the women's team and then carried on as if we were just supposed to read that glimpse over it and not think anything of it. And so I, I read it and I was so shocked. Of course, I was shocked, but really I felt relieved because it made everything make sense. And the reason I say I felt relieved is because I thought the NCAA would see it how I saw it, how my parents saw it, how my teammates saw it, how anyone with a brain would really comprehend this. Because again, as I mentioned, Will Thomas, when I looked up who he was, right, was very mediocre. Um, mm-hmm. 462nd at best among the men. And that's why I say again, I was relieved because I thought the NCAA would see it how I saw it. But they sure. That they saw nothing wrong with it. So your meet uh, where you, uh, I'd like to hear this story about how you you swam in, a, in basically a dead heat. Yeah, I am. Um, with Leah Thomas. We raced. I, I mentioned previously about how Leah Thomas won the national title in the 500 freestyle. Um, that next day of competition, we come back. Thomas and I race in the 200 freestyle. Even going into the race, I felt as if my hands were tied behind my back, going against someone who towers over me, six foot four, and I'm a mere five foot five, five foot six, towers over me. Um, I was discouraged going into it, but almost impossibly enough. We finished the race in a tie. Um, we went the exact same time down to the hundredth of a second, which is rare in swimming. I won't say it never happens, but when you're racing for a minute and 40 seconds and you go the exact same time down to the hundredth, not even a hundredth separated us, that's pretty crazy. And so we get out of the water and we go behind the awards podium where the NCAA official looks at both Thomas and myself and says, great job, but you guys tied. And we only have one trophy. And we're going to give this trophy to Leah. Riley, I'm sorry, but you have to go home empty-handed. And so I was so taken aback by this. You know, I said, okay, I know we tied. I know there's one trophy. But why are you so adamant on giving this trophy to Leah? And this was really the first time anyone had questioned anything the NCAA had done up until this point. And I actually appreciate their honesty. Um, He kind of stumbled on his words for a minute, but ultimately he told me, well, we were told we have to give Leah the trophy because it's crucial Leah has it for photo purposes. Um, you can pose with this other trophy we have, but you have to give yours back. Leah takes the trophy home. You go home empty-handed. End of story. And that is when I was no longer willing to lie. I knew the unfair competition was wrong. I knew the locker room was wrong. But when they reduce everything that we, myself, I had worked my entire life for down to a photo op to validate the feelings and the identity of a male at the expense of my own, our own as women. That's when I I was done waiting for someone else to speak out. Right. I mean, this is, uh, to me, an illustration of the imbalance of the whole thing, because as you have said many times, it has nothing to do with transphobia. It's simply there is a small group of people whose rights seem to predominate over all the rights of everybody else. 
at at the at the harm of everybody else. And it's not just a trophy, of course. I mean, let's talk about the irony of the whole situation because part of this issue is where are the women, where are the people who push for women's and girls' rights? Uh, where are the feminists? Where where is everybody? And I, you know, I found this myself with with uh, sort of COVID and the whole thing. But in this case, we had decades of Title IX, which is very famous and a broad-reaching uh, law, really, in 1972. But it, the the most famous part of Title IX, as you know, is its impact on expanding opportunities for women and girls in sports specifically. And I have some statistics at that time. Uh, female athletes received only 2% of college athletic budgets. Uh, scholarships for women were virtually non-existent. Uh, and in the, in the 50 years since its passage, the number of girls participating in high school sports has risen tenfold. There's more than 3 million. There's a couple hundred thousand women now competing in intercollegiate sports, six times as many. I mean, this is, and it's not just sports, as you know. I mean, there's, uh, you could speak much more than I can because I'm not only not an elite athlete, I'm not much of an athlete at all. But, uh, you know, we know the benefits of competition, of self esteem, of achievement. Uh, you know, this is the point about Title IX. You know, by 2016, 20% of all girls in the United States play sports. That number had been one in 27 at the passage of Title IX. I mean, this is a, a huge issue for equal opportunity for girls and women. Uh, and so when you have a this kind of reaction where, oh, no, we want to have a photo of Leah Thomas holding the trophy, a uh, go away, Riley Gaines, I mean, it's really uh, not just dispiriting. It's, it's really a sort of a disgrace. You know, it's an indictment to the NCAA to me. And I'd like to ask you... Uh, What's the response that you've received, uh, you know, over these past this past year, basically, from the NCAA, the coaches, the people who were supposed to be your advocates? Publicly? Crickets. Yes, publicly, because privately, as I saw myself, there's a lot more willingness to say something. Absolutely. But the cowardice is 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 uh sort of the 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 moral failure but go ahead i'll let you talk about it publicly crickets um there have been very few actually virtually no coaches no athletic directors no no administrators within the ncaa to publicly take a stance that being said um privately the overwhelming majority of of all of those officials and coaches and administrators that i mentioned have thanked me and have said, you know, continue on with your bravery. We we need this. We need you to keep fighting. And so it it just as you said, it's a lack of a backbone. It's a lack of a moral compass. It's a lack of understanding the harm and what's really at stake here. Because let me make make no mistake, this is a lot bigger than just fairness and women's sports. There's a lot of pieces to this that should be really absolutely. Chilling. That should be really chilling to these people. Whether that's the silencing, whether that's the denying of objective truth, biological reality, whether that's the changing of the language that we use. I mean, there's there's a lot of a lot of pieces, but back to back to the And also if I can interject, I mean yeah. it's also the privacy, the personal safety issues, the locker rooms, the the personal dignity. 
well, of people has been impinged upon here. Even, even yes, absolutely. But even the safety, the actual physical well-being and safety of, of women in physical contact sports, which swimming is not one of those where I had to worry about being injured uh, due to any sort of physical force in my sport. But that's not to say sports where you're running at each other, colliding, throwing something, striking a ball, hitting something at one another. Those sports, you do have to worry about your safety. So there's a lot of problems here. Um, but I'll, I'll very briefly kind of touch on the private support that I've had um, because I think this is a true testament to the cowardice. Uh, last year, I was nominated, actually this year, I was nominated for NCAA's um, NCAA Woman of the Year. They were having a big conference where they were announcing who their winner was. It's a huge, this is the most prestigious honor for collegiate female athletes. As you mentioned, it's something that encompasses your athletic achievement, which I have accomplished things that I'm very proud of. Um, I'm the SEC record holder in the Turner Butterfly, making me one of the fastest Americans of all time, um, but also your academics. I was, as you mentioned, the SEC Scholar Athlete of the Year. Um, I scored in the top percentile of the, the dental admissions test to get into dental school, but also your community service, which is something I'm still so passionate about. Um, at giving back, I had started a lot of programs and developments in regards to to service at University of Kentucky. So when I when I got this nomination, I was so excited. Again, this is for NCAA Woman of the Year. Until they release a list of all of the nominees for NCAA Woman of the Year. And it was not exclusive to just women because Leah Thomas was also nominated. And so immediately the award I was so excited to be nominated for became meaningless to me. And so the NCAA had this big convention where they were honoring who their winner. And so I went to this convention, but I did not go in support. Um, this was actually the first time I was able to directly hand a legal demand letter to the NCAA hand to hand, look them in the eyes and tell them that if they didn't stop discriminating on the basis of sex, there will be legal action taken. And this is still the farthest anyone has gotten in terms of reaching the NCAA about this topic. I had sent letters, I had sent email, to which, of course, I got no response. Um, but also at this conference, they had a big con convention hall where you could buy a booth and, and um, sell things. Different companies and organizations bought a booth. And so I thought, I'll buy a booth in my own personal capacity. And so I applied to buy a booth with the name Riley Gaines. Keep in mind, I had been outspoken at this point denied. And so I thought, that's weird. I'm trying to give them $2,000. Um, I applied again with my name, denied. I came up with an alias, applied, and they were like, of course, we'll take your $2,000. And so I got a booth inside this convention center to where all the athletic directors and presidents and chancellors of the universities were walking around. And Scott, every single one who passed by, I was passing out pamphlets of Title IX and little little bracelets like this, sharing my story and every single athletic director who walked by, hey, thank you for doing what you're doing. Keep fighting. We need you. In the first 60, I thought, this is great. You know, I'm, I'm honored. We're getting support. This is huge. And then as it continued, I naturally began to feel pretty, pretty frustrated by this. If we're all on the same page, where's the discrepancy? I felt, I felt confused. And so I kept right. asking, that's great that you say you support this publicly or privately. Would you be willing to support this publicly? Oh, no. You know, we can, we can have lawsuits. Uh, I'm the breadwinner for my family. I really can't risk losing my job. 
sorry, and would very quickly turn and walk away to avoid any more confrontation. And that happened time and time again. Even the president of the NCAA, Mark Ebert, who has now stepped down, which I think this whole issue is, has a big part of his stepping down, publicly, in the following days after the Leah Thomas debacle, I, word for word, I remember what it said because it was so comical to me. He released a public statement saying he unequivocally stood in his decision to allow Leah Thomas to swim with the women because it was based in evolving science. That that term evolving science just kind of cracked yes. me up. Um, but privately, I see him at this convention to which he says, keep fighting, keep going. And Scott, the audacity for him to tell me to keep fighting because he is the one that we are fighting. So that's, yes, that's, it's, it's so disappointing. I, I, again, like I hate, I can't help but interrupt here no, because no, it's so, uh, so strikingly similar to everything that, that I, I have seen myself in, in what I've been speaking out about, uh, you know, uh, this, you, you, you know, it, I always say, and, and it's very true, I think that as an American, you're, you're given these freedoms that people fought for. We are Americans. This country was founded on freedom and uh, independent thinking, and it's not just permitted in a society like ours. It is a requirement to speak up for freedom, because if you don't, those freedoms disappear. And so these people are not just sort of failures in terms of their leadership positions in fulfilling that. that there, there's public harm done when you are in a, le a potential leadership position and you fail to lead. And I think this is a really tragic statement on the current state of things. Uh, you know, we need people to step up. I've used the term rise up. That means speak up. Yes. Uh, because, you know, it's not. It, it, this is how bad things happen is silence. And so, yes, everyone agrees with you. Not everyone, of course, but many people. And part of it is it's obvious it's so obvious after everything's been done to fight for rights uh, for women and girls. And, you know, I happen to have two sons. I don't have a daughter, but I, I, I think I would be uh, frantic even more so if I had a, a daughter to fight for with this. But I think it, that this is just common sense. It's a very sad statement on the on the on the lack of leadership, but the lack of courage Uh and, uh, you know, one of the things I want to mention, besides being speaking for truth, which you're doing, uh, with, and it's very important for, for every reason that we know, there's another benefit to speaking out. And, and I'd like you to sort of talk a little bit about this, because I think it's been increasing now, is that you're empowering others to speak out. This is the importance. It's not just the issue. It's also... You know, as there's a saying in Silicon Valley in the sort of uh, startup world, everybody wants to be second. They want to see somebody go first, yeah. and then when you go first, uh, you're 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 really a trailblazer. Uh, has that been your experience? No doubt. Um, whether that is publicly or privately, the amount of people who I have had reach out to me and say, you know, thank you for doing what you're doing. I'm going through a very eerily similar situation, whether that's in sports whether that's in bathrooms, locker rooms, sororities, prisons. I mean, there's a lot of realms where this issue is is kind of taking into effect. Um, and they say, I've inspired them. One person in particular is one of Leah Thomas's teammates who's just recently been outspoken. Her name is Paula. 
Um, I've talked to her the past year and really tried to encourage her to speak out because her perspective in dealing with what they dealt with for a year, the stories that she has, again, in regards to how her university silenced them, how her coaches responded, how, I mean, it's, it's, it's an abomination and we needed mm-hmm. her voice. And so finally she, she told me, you know, you've, you've encouraged me. She's just taken the risk and entirely quit her job. And she's like, okay, you know, I'm ready to pursue this with whatever I have in me. Um, I'm, I'm done. I'm done. Uh, as we talked about waiting for someone to stick up for us because we were, I was, I was waiting for someone else to, I wanted to be the second sure. person, just as you mentioned, sure. I wanted to be the one in second place. Um, but we weren't seeing that. And so finally, that's why I had to take that leap of faith. I had to, yeah. to be brave in some capacity. And I, I can't even fathom how it requires bravery or courage <laughs> to say what you and I are saying, but it does. Yes, it does. And, you know, I, I sort of am empathetic to it a, a little bit, but at some point, uh, again, you have to speak up. You have to be an independent thinker and you have to have you know, without courage, nothing nothing happens in society. This is obvious and uh, well said by many people dating back to, you know, philosophers like Aristotle. Courage is the foundation for every other virtue. Uh, and speaking of that and the, of the reaction of other people, I've been surprised uh, by at least what the news is reporting by the either silence or even hostility that has been expressed with what you're saying by people who are female athletes who have achieved their fame, who have benefited from equal rights and all the pushes for women in sports. And now they sort of either poo-poo what you're saying or the issue is overblown. What is the truth on the reaction of of famous athletes? And we, we've seen them, whether it's the U.S. women's soccer team uh, or the some of the most adored athletes in the world are the women's tennis uh, you know, uh, stars. Well, what's been going on with that? Look, there are very few professional athletes who have taken a stance on this. Um, Bethany Hamilton really being the first in the U.S. Um, of course, she's the surfer who lost her arm because of a shark attack. Um, the World Surf League created a policy that says compete where you want pretty much. And Bethany Hamilton took a stance and said, you know, I won't be competing in this league until these guidelines are reviewed because this is discriminatory and wrong and unfair. She's one of the only ones we've seen taking a stance. Where are Serena and Venus Williams? Where is Megan Rapinoe, who, as as we talked about, was an advocate for women? Look, I, I, I can't say I, I love Megan Rapinoe anyways. There's a lot of things that I think we do disagree on. But we can't deny how she did fight for women in sports. She fought for equal pay. She fought for equal access, equal resources. And now she's undermining her fight entirely. And she's actually going the opposite way. She's fighting right. for male inclusion in women's sports and women's spaces. Billie Jean King, that's who we have to accredit Title IX to, really. Uh, a trailblazer for women. Same thing as going the, the opposite way, doing a 180 and undermining everything she fought so hard for and at fighting for men to be included in women's sports and women's spaces. I mean, it's ironic. It's almost comical. It feels as if it should be a Babylon Bee. Um, Satire, right. I, I agree. It's you, real you, life. <laughs> you, you, as they say, you, you can't make this stuff up. It's, it's insane uh, to push back 
and to, you know, because, and also even the most fundamental point, why are there women's sports? Exactly. Yeah, I mean, you know, because with the logic that to me, uh, there's only two possible things to happen here. One is that if you if you push for the un, unlimited rights, so-called rights of transgenders to compete in anything they want, then you might as well just have one swimming competition, one soccer league, one basketball. I mean, where are the where are the women basketball players? I mean, I, I it's just these people are have have been beneficiaries. And it's obvious there needs to be separation of women from men in sport. I mean, this I don't even know why this needs to be said, uh, but apparently uh, we're living in a world where, where facts don't matter, which is a very sad thing to say. You know, I, I want to ask you this, but, uh, because I don't want to take up too much of your time. I want to get to everything you're doing is so important. Speaking out and educating the public is the number one most urgent thing to do. There is no question about that. It has to be said because if it's not said, the propaganda prevails. And, uh, you know, this is how the worst things in modern history have happened by propaganda that is against common sense. So it's great you're doing that, but you're doing more than that. And I want the listeners to understand all the things you're doing, including testifying to Congress, working with states, et cetera. Tell me some a little bit about that and how's that been going? Absolutely. Um, I made it my mission to enact change. I didn't want to be someone who just whined about it and just complained about it. I wanted to do something about it. And so that's what I started traveling state to state, testifying on behalf of their fairness and women's sports bills, encouraging states to pass this so so girls didn't have to go through what me and my teammates and my competitors did. Had this this law been passed into effect in Georgia at the time, we wouldn't have had to deal with this yet because our meet was at, at Georgia Tech. Yet it wasn't. Therefore, we did. Um, I've been doing that at the federal level. I've been combating Title IX, working with Congress members and senators. Um, Congressman Greg Stubbe, he put forward a Protecting Women and Girls in Sports Act. Uh, Senator Tommy Tuberville, I worked alongside him and in introducing it on the Senate side because what the Biden administration is doing to Title IX right now is abysmal. It's perverse. It's disgusting. It's sickening. Um, all of those things. And so combating that, but not but not only just that. Um, combating the perversion of Title IX, of what it was really intended to yes, do, just to be clear. Yes, yes, yes. Combating the changes they're making because the changes they're making would mean men could live in dorm rooms with women, men could join sororities, men would have full access to bathrooms, locker rooms, changing spaces, men could take academic and athletic scholarships away from women. And actually, if you complain about it as a woman, under this new Title IX, you're guilty of sexual harassment if you do that. If I were to misgender Leah Thomas and, and call a spade a spade, then I'm guilty of sexual harassment. Not Leah Thomas who's parading around our locker room exposing male genitalia. That's not sexual harassment. That's encouraged and celebrated. But if I call it out, I'm guilty. So I'm combating that. That's what that's what I'm combating. Right. Um, but not just sports. This is a lot broader. And so I've been working alongside states in co um, coming up with the Women's Bill of Rights, which is a another law that defines the word woman. I can't believe we have to do this. Um, but last year it was passed in Kansas, and I worked closely alongside my home state of Tennessee to get it done. Which I want to mention, this is pretty powerful because Tennessee, my home state, again, this was, I think, the 36th or 37th state to implement laws that gave women the right to vote. But they're the second state to define what a woman is. 
And so that right there shows you the flip, um, how it was once Democrats who fought for feminism and, and, and women and protecting and upholding women. And now we're seeing this, this flip. It's, it's conservatives, typically Republicans who are doing that. Absolutely. Yeah. And all the action, a lot of the action, something we've learned uh, quite a bit again uh, through the last few years of the pandemic lockdowns was how much power is at the state level. I think this is a very important uh, way to get things done as you're doing is there are certain things happening at the federal level and that's important. Uh, but there's also a lot of action and a lot of independent thinking governors, frankly, who are willing to say this is right and uh, I, I, that's very good. Are you having uh, some traction with governors? Yes, I am. I've been working very closely alongside many different governors and attorney generals, which is useful. Of course, anytime you're dealing with something where, um, to this effect, where there will be lawsuits against any kind of state bill passed, um, you can count on that. Working with attorney generals, that's been powerful. And there's a lot, a lot of support. Um, 22 states thus far have passed some sort of fairness moment sports bill where just three years ago, I think there was only one or two states that have. So we're definitely, we're getting there, which is good news. Right. We're seeing some traction. I think you're right. Uh, what about uh, kind of messaging to people that are in a little bit younger than you, the athletes of, you know, what I call junior high, but middle school and high school coming up in college. Uh, are, are you are you speaking with them and whether or not what what are you uh, what's your message to them? Because you know you're a public figure now. As I I sort of uh, understood that 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 happens whether you want to be or not. And uh, with that public figure role, uh, people depend on you. And I think there's a lot of people depending on Riley Gaines and what, what you're speaking. Uh, what, what are you? What's your message to the younger sort of girls and uh, and the mothers? Yes. Well, my message to the young girls is to be bold, be empowered. And really, more than anything, know that it's liberating to say the truth. Once you stand firm in that truth, because there is only one truth. And once you stand firm in that truth. And you don't have to adhere to the coercion and the lies and the silencing. It feels like a weight is off your shoulders. And no, you're not in the minority here. Like they want you to think the overwhelming majority of not just Republicans, not just female yeah. athletes, the overwhelming majority of the general public knows this is insanity. Um, and my message to the parents is to defend your daughters and teach your son's masculinity. Um, I feel like this conversation very quickly gets centered around girls and women and naturally that that's to be expected. And we can often ask ourselves the question of where are the feminists, which is a very valid question because where are they? But we also should ask our question, ourselves the question of where are the men? We need men. Um, we need masculine, strong men. Um, that's what a country thrives on. I think the last time we had a, a society full of strong men was during World War II. And we can, there's the saying, and it's hard times create strong men, strong men create good times, good times create weak men, weak men create hard times, and it repeats itself. And I, I truly think we're in the, the part of the process right now where weak men have created hard times. And so we need, we need those strong men to create those good times. And so parents, teach your son's masculinity. I think that's uh, super well said and <clears throat> 
you know, very compelling and uh, we need to step up. Thank you, Riley. Uh, you're doing an awesome job. Uh, looking forward to working with you in, in any way that I can. And uh, certainly going to look you up when I head through Tennessee and Kentucky. Amazing. And I have to admit right now, I don't like University of Kentucky because I'm jealous of their basketball program. And <laughs> I went to a Big Ten school. And uh, so I like to say I hate Kentucky, but I really don't. Uh, it's been it's been a great pleasure meeting you. Good luck. And uh, our paths will cross again, I'm sure. Amazing. Thank you so much, Scott. Thank you for listening to Independent Truths with Scott Atlas. If you want to find out more about today's guest, Riley Gaines, check out her website, RileyGaines.com, the Independent Women's Forum website, and her Twitter at Riley underscore Gaines underscore. And don't forget to subscribe to this show on YouTube, Spotify, Apple, Google, and anywhere else you're listening to podcasts right now. And I'll see you next time.